Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. I just heard, um, I just heard this last week driving on the radio, the, the radio Bible teacher uh, happened to have been passing through Romans chapter 8 in his sermon that he was giving and he said something I completely agree with. And he said that out of all the chapters of the entire Bible, that if you take the time to study Romans chapter 8, it will be the greatest experience of your life. And I agree with them. And the, one of the reasons why I agree with them is because we are taking forever to get through chapter 8 <laughs> for that very reason. It's so deep. But if you and I get it, it'll transform our lives. What spirit lives in you? This is part two of that message. And uh, I will read the uh, odd numbered verses. If you guys will pick it up in the even. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. But if the Spirit of him, that's the Holy Spirit of Christ, lives in you, who raised Jesus from the dead, uh, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Look at verse 11. But if the spirit of him, by the way, the word is translated correctly in other translations, other versions, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, think about that. The Bible says that under the command of the father was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Think for a moment. Jesus in the flesh trusted the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead. Jesus did that. He, he brought himself to the place in humanity. Why? Because that's what you and I've got to do. We've got to trust that the Spirit of God will raise us from the dead when the resurrection comes. Now look, if the rapture happens today, it still is the operation of the Holy Spirit who will scoop you up and present you into the arms of Jesus, the Bible tells us in John 14. But the awesome truth over and over again is the dwelling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Father, we pray that you would teach us powerfully, Lord, from your word. This is your word. It's not ours. We don't want anything to do with our word. We don't want anything to do with our idea. God, we don't want to read anything into this. We're asking you, Holy Spirit, to take your Bible and not only read it into us, but God, we pray that you'd emboss it upon our hearts and our minds forever. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 through 11. In one of the last interviews that Dr. A.W. Tozer gave, the question was asked of him, what is the greatest need the church has today? And this, of course, was many decades ago. Uh, To that, Dr. Tozer replied, and I quote, the greatest need is and will increasingly be the church's ability to discern between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In other words, discernment. You and I need discernment. Friends, it's in the Bible. If you've never heard that word before, you ought to write it down and research it from the scriptures. Discernment. Before we get 
into our study. Write this down, please, by way of preparation. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says this way. And think about what Tozer said about discernment. Think about the question today. What spirit is living in you? What spirit are you of? But there were also false prophets among the people. He's referring to the Old Testament era. Even as there will be false teachers among you. He's talking about the church era. What are they going to do, Peter? Here's what they're going to do. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Notice the word secret is the word cloaked, disguised, masked heresies are going to come into the church. They're destructive. The word destructive in the context speaks about pulling people apart as you would pull a body apart. Maybe you tear off a couple of fingers, an ear, an elbow, a foot, almost like how a wolf would eat a sheep. Are you hearing me? Very graphic. It's very ugly. It's very destructive. And you got to ask yourself, man, are we living in these days or what? And here's their message and their conduct, by the way, is defined in the fact that they they deny the Lord who bought them. Oh, they talk all about Jesus, but in their actual lifestyle, they deny the Lord Jesus Christ who purchased them. It doesn't mean they're saved because he purchased them. Jesus, listen, Jesus purchased salvation for all mankind. You, you failing to take that free gift that he bought is what sends you headlong into hell. Jesus doesn't send you there. You do that yourself. And you'll, you'll, you will be the only one that you're going to be blaming in hell. Nobody else. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle. Wow. For their destruction does not slumber. These people who are uh, dangerous in, in a Christian setting, it may look like they're getting away with having a false church and a false ministry and, and pillaging people. Of, uh, of resources or whatever it might be. God is saying here in this word, don't panic, everybody. Don't panic. Number one, exercise discernment. Number two, judgment day is coming for those people. Amen. The steamroller is rolling. But have you ever seen a steamroller? They don't go very quick. But once they've gone by, you know they've been there. <laughs> whatever was there is now the size of a piece of paper. First Timothy chapter four, verse one says... Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, which is a very amazing statement. You say, Jack, he said that 2,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's great. The latter times were then, and every day that you're in the latter times, you're in the latter of the latter of the latter of times. How much late does the late hour get? Down to the last second. That's where we're living. We're looking at the last moments of church history, which I'm very thrilled about. That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Doesn't give you any reasons why. They're just going to leave. Could be COVID. God abandoned them, they think. Maybe God left me. Could be finances. Could be the shaking of the globe. Things didn't work out. God didn't bring me that wife or that husband soon enough. And I walked out. The, the, the excuses could be infinite. Watch out for them. Use discernment. 
But here's the danger. And we're living this right now, by the way. Everybody's living this right now. I got in trouble for saying what I'm about to say. Read it in the news a couple months ago. And so I'm going to say it again. So here it is. The things that you and I are dealing with in our world today regarding violence, this uh, mislabeled thing called homelessness, the, the sexual transition world, this whole thing about aberrant sexuality, the breakup of the family, man's unwillingness to keep, a, keep his handshake, Is all because of this next statement. And this is what got the, the, this is what got the news fired up. Southern California pastor says that people are under uh, demonic influence. Demonic attack. Well, my Bible says here, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. We're living it right now. And how do you know? Because it says in verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy. What does that mean? It means what they say doesn't make sense. It means what they say goes against truth. And we're living in a world. I'm not, listen, I'm not asking you to be upset with any individual. I'm asking you to get prayerfully upset against the demonic powers that are behind the entities that are attacking people and using them and morphing them body, soul, and spirit. It's an attack against you. The human created in the image of God, in the moral likeness of God. And the human today is under attack all around the world. How do we know? It's happening in the same time. Doesn't matter what continent you're on. Doesn't matter what culture you're in. It's happening all around the world. Because this is of demonic influence. 1 John 4 verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits. How are you going to do that? Just like this. <laughs> like this. Have, okay, first it comes here, but then it's got to be put in here. By the way, little side note. You hear it, you hear it, you got to make a decision. And then once you've heard it, God sends you a trial. Don't, don't panic. Trials are awesome because trials knock this truth down into your heart. Listen, if you want to be a theologian, keep it up here. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you got to get it knocked down into here. And a trial does that. Not temptation. Temptation comes from Satan, the flesh and the world. A trial causes you to go to the word of God. And there's a big difference in all of that. But just know this. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world and it's happening today. So verse nine, last week we saw this just one quick second on this is that we're asking this question. What spirit lives in you? Is it the spirit of comfort? Because God, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of comfort. And you want to answer the question for your own life in three ways. We learned in verse nine that he's the spirit that confirms that is that he brings you great comfort in speaking to you and telling you over and over again and showing you over and over again that you belong to him. And I made, a, I made kind of a joke, but it's not a joke. If you don't think that you belong to God and, uh, and you're panicking about that, all you need to do is sin. It, the moment you sin, the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? He only says that to his own kids. 
Listen, you don't go next door and, and uh, grab the neighbor kid and said, what are you doing over here? No, it's his house. He can do whatever he does. You say to your, your own kid in your own house, you don't talk about any other kid. You say, listen, we don't do that in this house. You don't do that to your sister. Why? Because that's your kid. And if somebody's in doubt, I don't know if God loves me. Well, have you given your life to Christ? Yes, but I don't know if I'm in the... Well, what happens when you think a bad thought? Oh, oh, he he tells me. Then welcome to the family. (laughs) A non-believer doesn't have that. He brings comfort. He's the spirit of comfort. He confirms the fact that you are his child. And one of the great overriding joys... This is a blessing, is that he's the spirit who possesses. I I love saying what I'm about to say. He possesses his people. The Bible says in Corinthians that the believer is the temple of the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. I love that. Yeah, but isn't possession scary? It it depends on what spirit you are. (laughs) I want the Holy Spirit to possess me more and more. It's a prayer of mine. God, possess me more. I want to be less of me and more of you. And thirdly, last time we saw in verse 9, as as that verse concluded, is that he's the spirit who reveals. He delights in revealing himself to us. That's why when you get up in the morning, as I've made mention, you know the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You hear this all the time. You hear this little nudge. Read, uh, Read the word. Read a verse. Read, read, a, read a paragraph. You can do it. <laughs> I know you can do it. You can do it. I don't care if you're running out of the house and you're getting on the car to commute. You can put the Bible, audio Bible, and listen to it. Just get the word. Why? Because that's where God the Holy Spirit reveals himself more and more and more and more and more to you. Very important. And then just to set up where we're going with this in verse 10. And I know we're going right now on these particular weekends, verse by verse. It's because it's the depth of Romans 8. That's, that's the reason. It's not because I'm drawing it out. Though I do want the Lord to come back while we're in the book of Romans. <laughs> but it's, it's this, people. It's the fact that he is so precious to announce these things to us. Please write this down. Romans 8 verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Okay, if you're fearing right now, stop it now. Just stop now. That's not from the spirit of God. But you receive the spirit of adoption. You know what that means? It means there's no need for you and I to ever again, believer, be insecure. Because adoption is a powerful thing. Imagine, now this is inaccurate, it's, but it's graphic. Imagine God pacing back and forth, walking up and down the, uh, what's the unit where the babies are born? The baby unit. Where the, the babies are on their little, they're all in their little, uh, I'm, okay, you don't even know either. I, I, I hear all kinds of answers. You know, in the movies where the babies are all lined up, imagine the nursery, nursery. Do you, re, do you remember? Okay, so think of that picture and, and think about God walking by and backs up and says, you, I want, excuse me, nurse, that one right there. I want that one. Adoption. 
God picks. I love that. We get this sense, well, you know, I was born in my family. My parents have to love you. Um, it's true. I mean, it's true. How many parents do you think, well, you know, is my kid? And the question is, if you would have known this was your kid, would you have picked them from the beginning? You should see a parent's eyes light up and they just go, wow, that's deep. Here's the great thing about God. He knew everything about you and I and he picked us anyway. Listen, in fact, the more, the more stinky you and I were, the more of a brat God picked us, the more of a, a dramatic story your life would come from. Maybe you're in that dramatic story right now. God is saying, don't lose heart. Don't be patient. Listen to the message. Give your heart to me. Because when God sees such troublesome people and or times in your life, you become a tremendous project for God to display his grace and mercy to you. And he loves doing that. He loves that. And look, that verse goes goes on to say, the reason why we're able to shout out adoption is because we cry out, Abba, Father. I got to tell you, church, to Jewish ears, that's offensive. To Jews who do not believe as Jesus being the Messiah, the New Testament to them is almost blasphemous. So why? Because we've been encouraged in our New Testament Bible to call the God of the Old Testament, Abba, Father. The Jews don't have that relationship with him. They should. They should technically before we do. But they don't. They refuse by and large. And they say, Abba. Oh, no, 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 no. Abba, that's too intimate. That's what a Hebrew little, little boy or little girl calls, calls daddy. Or if you're Italian, Papa. And the Bible says that's what you, believer, should be addressing your Heavenly Father like. Because that's how close this relationship is between the Savior and the saved. Abba, Father. Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And then I love this. Mark 14, 36. And Jesus said, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Listen to this. This is in Gethsemane, the garden. Take this cup away from me. And I'm wondering, see that comma right there? I'm wondering how long he paused. What was he saying? Father, if there's any other way that a man, a woman, a boy or girl, mankind can be saved... If it's through good works, if it's through giving money, if it's through signing up, if it's through church attendance, if it's through morality, if it's fill in the blank, God, show me now. I don't want to go to the cross unless it's absolutely necessary. And he's waiting. No wonder why the Bible says when Jesus prayed it three times, finally the angels came and ministered to him. And by the way, when you read the Gospels carefully... That's when the war was over, in my opinion. The war was won for your soul in the Garden of Gethsemane, not the cross. Jesus is pleading, Father, if there's any other way. But what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will be, but yours. And from that time, Jesus gets up, 
he gets the disciples finally up out of their sleep and he says, let's go. And from that moment on, Jesus is boldly in control from the arrest to the trials to the crucifixion. Notice, I think the victory of your citizenship in heaven happened at the, at the Garden of Gethsemane. He just finished the deal at the cross. You look at the cross and the account of the cross and you ask yourself, who's in charge? Is Rome in charge? Rome's not in charge. Were the Pharisees in charge? They were not in charge. It's absolutely clear. Jesus, who had done all these miracles, he's crucified. He could come down off that cross any moment. Some have said it's love that kept him nailed to the cross. I like that. No. Salvation can only be had one way. That's by Jesus Christ going to the cross. And that truth, the Holy Spirit will drive into your soul. If you're willing. So here we go. What spirit lives in you? Verse 10 is the spirit of life. In Romans chapter 8 verse 10 it says, But if Christ is in you, the body is dead. Physical body, we'll see this in a moment, because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Number one is this, is that he is the spirit of control. Or that he controls us. The indwelling ministry of Jesus Christ, listen, you heard me right. The indwelling ministry of Jesus Christ is executed or carried out by the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ not only died on the cross and not only rose again from the grave, but in his work of making a disciple out of you, he does that by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God represents the will of Christ in your life. Some of you may have come from churches where you, you talked about the Father and you talked about the Son, but you never talked about the Holy Spirit. And isn't it funny, it's been the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years that has been on earth here working in building the church of God, the church of Christ, his church, and making disciples. He glorifies the Lord Jesus through the Bible by the power of the Spirit. It's remarkable. Four things I just want to point out to you. I think they're important. They're important to me. Maybe they're important to you. Because verse 10 begins by saying, if Christ is in you, there's an exclusionary statement with this. If you're an attorney, you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, we've got an absolute here. And if Christ is in you. Now we know in the Greek language, and some of your Bibles, look carefully, some of your Bibles say, and since Christ is in you. That's a good translation. The if here is not to cast doubt. It's a statement of a fact. If Christ lives, it's not like, well, maybe he does and maybe he doesn't. No, that's why the translators in some of your versions have put the word since. And that's a good word. Since Christ is in you. This is a remarkable statement because it means that it's, it's an exclusionary statement. In other words, if Christ is in you, Nothing else is in you. Um, I got a picture. I got, this is cool. I'm not going to There's a nationally known business owner. You know the label. You see it everywhere. And this, this particular person's a devout Christian. And it, it, it makes me think about this verse because he sent me a picture. His wife actually took the picture. This gigantic gigantic pool out in the sunshine at this incredible, looks like a resort, and he's the only one there. 
And he was the only one there. Because he wound up reserving the entire area because he's well-known and he wanted, to, he wanted to get some rest. Are you hearing me? And um, how do you do that? Look, I don't know how you do that. You got to have the means to do that. But that, that pool was his for a matter of hours. If Listen, silly analogy, but here you go. If you can do that with earthly money, to reserve uh, paradise for you. It was at Mar-a-Lago, by the way. And it wasn't Trump, but it was at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> if you can do that with earthly currency, what does God do with you, with the currency of his blood, to designate your life to be a habitation for the Spirit of Christ to dwell within you means in an exclusionary understanding that God is not going to share you with any other spirit in this world. You are owned, the Bible says. You've been bought with a price, the Bible says. What a tremendous truth. So listen, you are no longer your own. Every Christian, I don't know about you, but when I read these, you ought to say amen because I am so glad I'm not my own. I already tried that. I tried that for 19 years. It didn't work well. Number two, you are no longer under the law of God, but under grace. Amen. The Ten Commandments, listen. I don't walk around in fear of the Ten Commandments. I know I can't keep them. But the Spirit of God in me can. And my body may fail me because my body is of sin and death and it's yet to be redeemed. But my heart, your heart, my spirit, your spirit wants to honor God, wants to live for God, wants to be perfect before God. Our problem is our doggone flesh from time to time pops up and you got to do a -a whack-a-mole thing on it and knock it down with a Bible verse or two or 20, right? You're no longer subject to fear. We read that a moment ago. God... His love is greater and it casts out all fear. We're no longer subject to fear. You got to remember that. And you're, fourthly, you're no longer of this world. Uh, the increasing awareness that you and I have that we've been separated from this world. It's increasing every week I get in front of you. It's, I, I feel like I belong here less. And it's so funny because people, it's great. It's great. We're standing, we're proclaiming the gospel. There's more people getting saved. Uh, most of them are on, through media. All over the world, people are listening. God is moving. Somebody asked me this last week on a radio interview, uh, what, what would you like to see in, in, in revival in America? And, I, and, and it's, it's what we've been seeing for 30 years right here. People getting saved. People discovering their gift of the Holy Spirit, getting involved in ministry and the, a culture being affected. You shining the light of truth. And when that happens, listen, when that happens, years ago, if you've been around long enough, years ago I shared with you that God had been laying on my heart. Jack, I want you to be like me. And I, and I basically, of course, I read that in your book. I got it. I'm trying. I want to do it. No, no, I, I, this is what I mean. Be the most loving person. Yield, yield yourself to be, be the most loving. Just know this. When that's happening, you'll be the most hated. And it's like, say, well, no, wait. Whoa. And he said, but don't panic because they hated me long before they'll ever hate you. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to get into that hate stuff. 
Listen, the way the world defines hate, I agree with you. What I'm talking about is this. Being hated because you're standing for a good thing and a right thing. Because you give the gospel. Because you say Jesus died on the cross. The moment you say that, you've got enemies. Because instantly that truth applies to this. If Jesus died on the cross, he must have died there for something, people think. What was it? He died on the cross for our sins. Sins, you must be implying that I'm a sinner. I find that highly offensive. You see? And they want to pick up stones to kill you. But that's okay. I'm going to quote myself here. I wrote this down because of the news I was uh, reading this week, you guys. And you've been watching it also. It's almost, um, it's almost in a state of emergency. And it's this. As you and I sit here today, the news surrounding man's development of AI, artificial intelligence, is advancing so quickly, by the way, listen to this, that now just one week passing shows an exponential growth in AI information and development that is of great concern. Elon Musk is pleading with the technology world to stop it right now. Press pause. We are in a dangerous mode. Not now, later, uh, YouTube, Elon Musk warning to the world about AI. You guys, just in this last week, three weeks ago, we discovered that AI, they're getting together on their own and they're creating a new language that they talk to and we don't know what they're saying. That's a problem. And by the way, they put those two units in a, in a steel uh, box so they can't have internet or anything because they don't have to do with these things. And then Elon Musk warned this week that somebody said, don't you just, what, what if you just pull the power cord? And Musk warns that pulling the power cord may not end it. What is that supposed to mean? Just the thought of that. The point is this. If we've got a world out there that is fake, but more powerful than us. Doesn't that show you just something that man can create something that can get out of hand? Now man has fallen and AI is a byproduct of a fallen man. God is perfect. God made us, but he built within us the ability to choose love, hate, relationship or not. If we're concerned, if the technology world is concerned that these things can start deciding on their own. Isn't it amazing that God was not intimidated one bit when he created Adam and Eve knowing in advance what they would wind up doing and loving them anyway. You think you've gone too far for God to save you? Think again. You need Christ in you, friend. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18. I think, by the way, I'm not a prophet. I'm just going to say 1 Corinthians 10, 18 to 20 is probably going to become more relevant than ever before. And think about AI. Because uh, now you can call AI on the phone. You can get recipes from AI on the phone. You can get poems. You can get, uh, you can get books. AI can write a book in a matter of, of minutes. And other things I'm not going to talk about. But remember, it's not human. It just looks like a human. So if I have a statue right here of something, 
some sort of statue. Just remember this. It could be a statue of St. Saint Bernard or, or some Moloch, right? Some pagan Babylonian god. Just think about this for a moment. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not all those who eat of the sacrifice, sacrifices partakers of the altar? Uh, yeah. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything. Rather, that the things which the unbelievers sacrifice to, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And do not want you to have fellowship with demons, he says. Think about this. If in pagan era and in pagan times, and it's recorded in the Bible, that demons will possess an image, a statue, a thing, what is going to happen when AI, if it hasn't already, gets really out of control? And something of a demonic, invisible world begins to animate these artificial intelligent beings that we've made. You said that never happened. The Bible says demons inhabit stone images and, and statues, idols. I think, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think man has created as being a God, something in his own image that he's hoped for. Maybe it's been reversed. Maybe man has created something and it's taken off beyond him. Because let me tell you something. AI can do math in a second way beyond your capability. Who's smarter? Gets weird, doesn't it? Gets really weird. So what's in you? The only way that you can ward off the evil days that are coming is not by owning some AI device, but by having the Holy Spirit own you. God dwelling in you. Notice that it's all about possession. Who's got the control? Thank God the Holy Spirit's clear. He loves us. He wants to control us. You need, I need the presence of the Spirit of God more than ever before in life. Um, the fact about discernment is needed today. We mentioned that. John chapter 8, verse 34. You guys okay? John eight thirty four says, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. That's just a fact. I'm not here to insult anybody. Jesus is simply saying, whoever commits or lives for sin is a slave to sin. You know that's true. You do something you shouldn't do. You, nothing happens. You know you shouldn't do it, but nothing happens. You wake up the next day, you do it again. Nothing happens. You just keep doing it. Nothing happens. You hear that small voice speaking to you. You ought not to be doing this. Always a small voice. Man, that's one beef I have with God. God, I'm so dense and Lisa's always telling me how I'm not listening to anything. So I do have a problem, clearly. And I confess to ADD. So God, I wish if you wanted to say something that you'd yell. Just say, Jack, turn left. He doesn't do that, people. He almost whispers. You, none of you have heard God yell at you. He always speaks so gently. What's he doing? He's appealing to our listening. Are we hearing? 
Notice, when people are deranged and derailed and demonic, they yell. Do you remember on Mount Carmel when the pagan prophets couldn't get their gods to respond? The Bible says they began screaming and yelling. And when that didn't work, they began to cut themselves with blades, trying to get their God's attention. And Elijah, you guys, is awesome. He's just like that. One guy, and if you read the context carefully, it's 850 prophets, not 450. It's 850. And he's just like this. Can you imagine? He looks at his sundial. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Come on. Can you guys speed it up? They made an altar. They're, they're going, hoo, 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 hoo. they're doing all this stuff, and it's not working. And then they're like cutting each other because they thought maybe their gods want blood. And he's like, oh, gosh. You guys done? Is that it? Okay, why don't you go one more round, he says, because maybe your God's hard of hearing. Maybe he's somewhere out in the universe. Maybe in the Hebrew, it's this. I kid you not. Maybe he is busy relieving himself, the prophet said. Can you believe that? The prophet of God said, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. That's awesome. I kind of like that. That's just like, wow, really? And then Elijah says, stand over here, watch. And the presence of God came down. Wow. Verse 35 says, and a slave does not abide in the house forever. Why slaves expire? But a son, oh, a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Does the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God live inside you, Christian? In Galatians 5, verse 16, the Bible says, I say then walk in the spirit. That means decide to do what God's word tells you to do. God's word says this, and you'd be overwhelmed. God's word says this. You, you, you sense the, the incredible inadequacy to do it. And then you ask God, God, will you do this through me? Lord, love my enemies. You told me to love my enemies. I can't do that. Will you do it through me? And he'll do it. God, I can't speak about you. I'm shy. I'm, I'm timid. Will you fill me with your boldness? He'll fill you with boldness. God, I don't know what to say. And he'll fill you with his word. And then his word will come out. He's awesome. Walk in the spirit and you will, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's your guard against the things that derail for the lusts of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish or that you ought to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So listen to this. I call this uh, the inward. I'm going to say the inward. In Romans 10, it says, if Christ is in you, in. So we learn about the Holy Spirit who indwells. And I'm going to ask you to write quickly on this. The Holy Spirit who indwells. How important is this? It's all important because the verse goes on to say, for the body, that's our body, is dead because of sin. This body's dead, spiritually speaking. It looks like it's alive to you and I, but it's spiritually dead. But Christ is alive in me now. And there's a difference. I read this week that the problem with man is 
man is the problem. (laughs) That's a good word. And so the remedy of our appointment with death and with hell, God relieved us or revealed to us his eternal plan. You ready? Write these down. Number one, he is the spirit or he is the promised Holy Spirit. You might be surprised where I'm going to start with this. You think I'm going to go to John. Not yet. He is the promised Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26. God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I'm asking my Jewish friends. Do you know Ezekiel 36, 26? Has it happened to you? I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll soften your heart. Has God made your heart tender toward him? Do you love God and it's not a push? You want to more and more? Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. There you go. See, Jack, it sounds like you're reading the New Testament. I know, right? This is the Old Testament. I will put my spirit in you. And I love this. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. That is the only way for you to please God is to do the will of God. Listen, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And just when you feel like the wall is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and taller and more impossible. God says, I will put my spirit in you. That's how you're going to do it. Jack, you can't do any of these things. And even if you could, I wouldn't want them. Your righteousness, I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just being biblically accurate. The book of Isaiah says that our righteous deeds before God without a personal relationship with God are as filthy rags. And dear friends, go look up the word filthy rags in Hebrew. It is not something to describe on a Sunday morning. God says, you try to do good works to get into heaven, and it's equal to this, and it'll make you sick. So how do I, Jack, how do I get into heaven? Listen, Jesus said your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, you're not helping. No, Jesus said that. The Bible says you need to be holy. You're still not helping. On and on it goes. The answer is this. Present yourself to me. God, the Holy Spirit. He'll change your heart. The Spirit of God goes to work. And he will do his will in your life. And you will be the one most blessed than anybody else in the universe. Because you're the one knowing that God is doing this. And you could never have done it on your own. He's the life-giving spirit. Mark that down. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit gives life. Just as God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living soul, the Holy Spirit, as it were, breathes new life into you at the moment you say yes to Christ. Have you experienced that? Or are you just a religious person? Those two places are eternities apart. Yes, Jesus said you must be born again. And somebody would rightly ask, what does that mean? I've heard all this stuff. 
being born again, second birth, reborn. Well, it's basically this way. Romans 5 verse 21 says, So uh, sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. How does that happen? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not your righteousness, it's His. He's the life-giving spirit. He's the promised spirit. And he, his life is a righteous life. Look, it's the Holy Spirit. Holy. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 begins by saying, So we are always confident, knowing that while at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's the life of the Christian. To be absent from the bodies. To be present with the Lord. Man, that's, we talked about that last Wednesday night in the book of Hebrews. And I kind of had to pull back a little bit. Because I was talking about how Paul the Apostle, when he was under attack. And they, were, they wanted to kill him for being uh, one who preaches the gospel. Uh, he, he says, listen, uh, to live is Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. But to die. Oh, to die. Well, that's gain. To live as Christ. That's what we're all saying in this room today. To live as Christ, we would say. But what if somebody said, if you say that one more time, I'm going to kill you. I kill you. <laughs> and uh, our next response would be, well then, to live as Christ, to die is gain. I've, I've often said, and I, I just, I'd lo- I can see the whole dynamic in cartoon form when Paul the Apostle is, is clearly not being intimidated by the religious buffoons and by the Romans threatening him. And they said, we're going to kill you for being a Christian. And Paul says, man, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And they're like, wait a minute, are you excited about that? You've been singing songs ever since we're going to kill you. What's with you? To live is Christ. To die is gain. So you're happy about that, are you? Oh, Jesus, I can't wait to see him. Well, then we're not going to kill you. <laughs> well, then to live is Christ. We're going to kill you. <laughs> to die is gain. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's us. That's who we are. We have to remember that. He's the active Holy Spirit. John 17, verse 23. The Holy Spirit's active. Jesus said, speaking to the Father in the great priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17, I in them and you, he's speaking to the Father, in me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one. Notice the unity factor is God the Father, God the Son, being our Lord and Savior, being our salvation. And that's all done. The reality of all of that's done by the Holy Spirit. And watch what he says. And that the world may know that you have sent me, and I have loved them, that's the followers of Christ, as you have loved me. Jesus says, I love my kids as much as the Father loves me. Next, he's the securing Holy Spirit. He secures. Philippians 1, 23 says, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But then he goes on to say, but if you need me to hang around, then I guess I will. How secure are you? Listen, believer, you are to be so secure in Jesus. 
Did I? Stop me. Raise your hand if I already told you guys this. So just the other day, a man showed up at our house. I was out front and he saw me out front. So he pulls over, he stops, he gets out and he comes walking up. And as he's walking up the driveway, his, his lower lip is shaking. Did I already tell you this? His lower lip is shaking. He kind of gets tears in his eyes and he starts telling me, Pastor Jack, this is what happened to me this week. And he goes on to tell me he was hospitalized. They said he had this horrible stroke. And I'm thinking, stroke? He's completely fine. What's he doing telling me this story? And he goes through this whole thing and, and they couldn't find anything. And he just got better like that. And he's trying to tell me about the comfort that Jesus gave him through the entire event, still to this moment. He said, he said they don't know what happened. They don't know. But the, the, at the, when I got to the hospital by the ambulance, it was all, we, we, have, a, we have a massive stroke, massive stroke. Couldn't, he said, I couldn't move my body. <laughs> and he said, now they say, we don't know what happened. We, we have no explanation. Everything checks out perfectly. You're completely normal. And he's, and he's saying, here's the thing. He goes, <laughs> and he's like this, trying to tell me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> He finally spit it out, and it was this. He said, I wasn't afraid. I had incredible peace. God, I knew Jesus was with me. You can't buy that, friend. I love the fact that, and many of you know this, that when we're in trouble, our God shows up really big. Securing. He's also the positioning, or he positions, as it were. The Holy Spirit is our placement or positioning. To them, God, oh, sorry, uh, Colossians 1, To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, when Christ is in you, you're not wishing for glory. When Christ is in you, you're not thinking it might turn out okay, maybe not, kind of, sort of. If Christ is in you, it is an absolute hope from position. From position. Next, he's the gracious Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so gracious. Again, Colossians 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Watch this. Verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. That's, that's the list of sins that you and I had been committing up until the moment we accepted Christ. That was against us, which was contrary to us. Watch. And he has taken it out of the way. Can you imagine your rap sheet? The judge holds up your rap sheet. Just before you get sentenced, Jesus walks in the room and takes the rap sheet and nails it to the top of his cross. It says that having nailed it to the cross. Next is the perfecting Holy Spirit. Perfecting. I love this. Constantly working on us. To the general assembly, Hebrews 12, 23 says, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, that's Jesus, who are registered in heaven. Imagine your name. If today the Holy Spirit is inside of you, one thing I can say more sure than I know the lineage of my last name. 
your name is written down in heaven. If the Holy Spirit's in you, he's the guarantee of what is legally written down in heaven. Registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, uh, to the spirits of just men made perfect or complete. That's by the blood of Christ. We're almost done. He's the overwhelming Holy Spirit. Verse John 4, 14. John 4, 14, the overwhelming Holy Spirit. But whoever drinks, Jesus says, the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. He's the satisfying Holy Spirit. John 7, 37. On the last day, on that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. This is at the temple, by the way. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Can you imagine saying that right now? Can you imagine going down to the shops or to Brea Mall or Fashion Island and saying, if anybody drinks of the water I have, they'll never thirst again. The cops will come and take you away. (laughs) If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, Jesus said. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, listen to this, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He had not yet been crucified and gone to heaven. Pentecost had not happened. Remarkable, right? The indwelling had not yet happened. So you guys okay? We're almost done. Seriously, I know some of you are looking at your watches. You got a plane to catch. It's, it's probably d- delayed, okay? John 20, watch this. Jesus, before his crucifixion, he was talking to them about the Holy Spirit, like gushing out of them, flowing out of them, life eternal. Now watch what happens after he's resurrected from the dead. And this is fun. Have you ever wondered who was the first person ever born again? You ever think about that? Don't, don't you lay awake at night asking those questions? <laughs> You're going to find out. I mean, we're not going to know his name, but we whittled it down to a group of people, a group of guys, probably the disciples for certain. John chapter 20, watch this. This is awesome. This has only happened once, by the way. One time. And from that time on, it's happened uh, without him doing this. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so it's Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, and he said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Can you imagine? He just appears. And the proof, isn't it fascinating? Jesus had to say, because they probably thought he was a ghost. He, he shows up in the room. Whoop! And he goes like this. Right? Shows him the side. Right side. Shows him the right side. Big hole. His palms. Big holes. He shows them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, watch this, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them 
And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is an interesting word because it means the Spirit went into them, not, on, not upon them. 50 days later, and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them, not in them. We know this perfectly well. The Greek language demands it. So this is the Greek word en. He breathed on them like he breathed on Adam. But he breathed on them. And those guys were the first guys to get born again right then and there on the spot. Spirit of God moved inside. You know what I love about this part of the Bible? It doesn't say, watch, what? Listen, some of you need to hear this. It doesn't say, and he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And Peter and Andrew and James fell back. Jew, uh, 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 James the less fainted. Uh, Peter had goosebumps. Are you hearing me? Uh, <laughs> Matthew started crying. It didn't say any of that. You want to know why? It's not important. If it was important, it would have been there. I love that. And here's where we end. He's the purifying spirit. He purifies us. Verse 10 ends by saying, and the spirit is life because of righteousness. Righteousness. The righteousness of God. Not yours, not mine. The Christian, listen, under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Christian does the right thing. That's not the popular thing. The Christian that's under the power of the Holy Spirit is not going to do the woke thing. Let's be honest. The, the Christian under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit can't lie against science, can't lie, but God made science. The Christian of the Holy Spirit cannot make up his own reality, my truth. You cannot be a spirit-filled Christian and have your own truth. It's impossible. He's the, he's the spirit that purifies. And Paul says, what things, were plant, were, what things were gained to me in Philippians 3, 7. I love this. I've counted loss for Christ. Everything I had, it's lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them, but translation kindly today would be manure, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, that's a negative, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that's a positive, which is from God the Father, or God by faith, I should say. And then we end with this beautiful quote, this story from Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Dr. Barnhouse tells of a night when he and his wife went on a date which kept them out till midnight. And when, he came, when we came home, we were surprised to see frustration upon the face of the babysitter. And so I asked her, what was wrong? The babysitter answered saying that their daughter had been crying for almost four hours. And so I headed upstairs to her room to find her red-faced and sobbing. I asked her what could possibly be troubling her so. 
Our little girl responded by saying, Daddy, tell me it isn't true. Tell me it isn't true. I asked her, is what not true? To that she said, the babysitter told me that when I'm bad, you don't love me. Daddy, tell me it isn't true. I, told, I, I, I took her up into my arms and pressed her close to me and said, my dear girl, I'll always love you. When you're good, I love you with a love that makes me glad. And when you're bad, I love you with a love that makes me sad. But I always love you, whether you're good or bad, I am daddy forever. And I read that and I thought, that's awesome. That little kid is in the family. Good or bad, daddy loves her anyway. Sometimes glad, sometimes sad. His love never changes. And that's true for you. Trust Christ, believe in him. He died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead. And you need to recognize that. You need to acknowledge that and say yes to him. You can say yes right now. And the only reason why you wouldn't is because of pride. Don't let pride rob you. Pride is Satan's greatest, most powerful delivery system of poison, pride. We're on the brink of pride month, I'm being told. That's not even funny. The Bible says God hates pride. But when you look at the cross, I tell you, that'll humble you. God loves you. Trust in him. Father, may your spirit galvanize these people this morning. They're about to be let loose into a world out there that is dark and getting more hopeless by the moment. But these, Lord, God, under the power of the Holy Spirit, if 12 people can do what they did to the world when let loose... These 3,000 people sitting right here, them getting loose right now, God may shake the foundations of hell itself. So, Father, we pray now that they would go forth in the power of God. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.